good afternoon. Hope everybody's well. We are here on a Thursday afternoon for Deering Live. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, and we have a really fun time ahead of us today. So um, get straight to it. But before we um, jump right in, quick reminder, we do have uh, the GHS strings that are brand new um, that you can go check out at DeeringMangos.com. But perhaps even cooler is for those of you that have been tuning into Deering Live uh, during this time, we've got about 10 episodes up. So you can now see those. They've been archived and saved for you to, to look at whenever you please at DeeringBanjos.com forward slash Deering Live to its own dedicated page. So go there, check it out. Uh, Dan Walsh, Ryan Kavanaugh, Tony Trifter, David Holt, uh, Valerie June from a few weeks ago. And everything uh, that we do from here on out will be uh, archived up there the following day, probably, after we finish the talk. So uh, go check it out. Now... To this week's guest, this is really cool. Um, I haven't seen uh, this guy for about a year um, when we hung out at IBMA uh, in 2019, which seems like such a long time ago. Um, he's a fantastic three-finger style uh, banjo player, um, taking influences from all over the all over the map, from bluegrass to classical, jazz, blues, and everything in between. Um, he's also a banjo teacher, in fact, an adjunct lecturer of banjo at the University of North Carolina. Hank Smith, uh, in case you hadn't realized who it was, uh, performs widely around the country uh, at times when we are not during a pandemic with Hank, Patty, and the current. Um, and today we're going to be going into all things five-string banjo, as well as lesson tips and any questions you want to ask. He will be playing his maple blossom and hopefully his crossfire. Welcome, everybody, Mr. Hank Smith. Hank, how are you, man? Good. How's it going? Very well, very well. Excellent. Uh, thanks Hi, uh... for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun for sure. Um, you're out in Raleigh, right? I am in Raleigh. Is it hot? Not lately. Um, we are currently getting the leftover rain from Hurricane Sally. Uh, and this past week, it's been in the 70s. It's actually been nice. The, the heat finally broke. And it looks to be, uh, looks to stay that way, hopefully. Excellent, excellent. And then with us as always is Mr. David Bantrowski. How are you doing, Dave? All right. How you doing? Good to be here. Excellent. So we've got Louisiana, Raleigh, North Carolina, and San Diego, California. Welcome, everybody. And uh, Hank, do you want to kick us off with the tune? Sure. Um, All right. Let's see. Let's do, um, here's a relatively new thing since the pandemic started. It's nameless as of yet, um, but it's in the style of an Irish jig for for the band. So we'll see if I can pull this off. Thank you. 
All right. <laughs> what was that? What was the name of that again? It, does, it doesn't have one yet. Okay. That's a brand, brand new. Brand new. Yep. Nice. It's brand new. Um, I, I inspired by Irish jigs and all that kind of stuff. I um, haven't spent that much time in Ireland, really just at the Dublin airport <laughs> for several hours. <laughs> So, well, I don't know how strong my connection is to the country, but I do love the music. <laughs> Did it change time signatures in the middle of it? Um, it has some like little, not not so much. It's still in four, but it it has some accents and stuff in it. When you get to the so anticipations and stuff, and then when you get to the some of this stuff. It's maintaining its, I guess six eight, not four four. Sorry. Yeah. Maintaining. That's why. That's why I learned last week was the jig is six eight and the yeah reel is four four. <laughs> right, right. That's right. So it's in the style of not completely. It's got some extra bells and whistles, but we'll see what Ooh. happens. We arranged it for the band. It was originally written in D, and um, Patty came to me and was like, mm -mm, "You got to do it in a different key." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so we did an A instead. So it's more. Fiddle conducive. Um, with the B, I don't know if I can do it in B. Oops. Guess not. So, pretty similar. I guess it, it's modular enough. It'd be kind of fun to, to transpose it to different keys. Right. Well, uh, before we get into, because that kind of leads what you're saying, you know, bringing a tune into the band. But before we get kind of get into the band and how you know it it this it kind of works in in your group uh when we just when we just start out from scratch though and you tell us sure. a little bit of the history about you know yourself with with the banjo and when you started and and things like sure. that um well i didn't start playing until i was 16 um relatively late in life for a lot of kids who get started on music i also am the son of yankee expats raised in the south I grew up in South Carolina, but everybody's from New York. Um, we moved to South Carolina from New York State when I was six months old or so and took up root in Florence, South Carolina. And so the music in the house growing up was um, classic rock, mostly Springsteen and Neil Diamond, Elton John, Bob Seger, stuff like that. Um, right. So I never really, and, and no one played an instrument. There was, it was not a bluegrass family. Mm. Um, so I didn't really have any exposure to anything like bluegrass or country unless it was on the radio. But when we were little, I, if I had to trace it back, when we were little kids, um, right before bed, we would watch the Dukes of Hazard and Hee Haw <laughs> came on back to back. And so it, it would have to have been the first time I would heard a banjo and really picked up on it would have been Hee Haw when they were in the cornfield going. And then tell a joke. Um, and then, you know, never really paid too much attention to it, just thought it was cool, whatever. And then when I was in my teenage years, when I was 15, 16 or so, I thought it would, it, I thought it sounded cool. I was like, something about that just sounds awesome compared to guitar. And some of my friends were learning guitar and whatnot. And, and uh, to date myself, the popular music of the day to play on guitar was grunge. So it was all Nirvana and Pearl Jam mm -hmm. and um, Stone Temple Pilots and stuff like that. And so I thought the banjo itself sounded cool. What if I learned those songs on the banjo as like kind of a lark or something to do at parties or whatever, like not serious, learn dueling banjos or learn whatever, just to kind of bust it out like a parlor trick. 
And uh, I got one for Christmas, and the rest is history. I mean, that was it. Like, I was hooked from the get-go and wanted to learn all the things. Um, I'm sure my parents thought I was crazy. They may still think I'm crazy, but it's been 26 years, so I think they're they're accepting of it <laughs> <laughs> at this point. <laughs> it's not a phase. <laughs> um, but, no, it was, and I, you know, growing up where I did, I, I didn't have a teacher. Right. So I had to figure a lot of it out on my own, and and in the days before YouTube videos, um, we just had I just had a CD player and would play you know generic bluegrass CDs. There was a bluegrass show on the radio where I was on Sundays, and I would listen to that and like tape it off the radio so I could go mm-hmm. back and listen to it. And um, they had about forty five minutes south of where I was, they had a monthly bluegrass session. The Southeastern Bluegrass Association had a, a weekly or monthly rather um, festival and and picking session. So that's kind of where I got started was just playing in the, in the, the picking session at the Lynch's river state park and learning what I could picking up what I could, that kind of thing. Um, the first few months of banjo were rough. I didn't know that capos were a thing. I had no idea. I also didn't know that you could tune it to a different key other than G. So as I'm learning flat and scrugs and just traditional bluegrass stuff, I thought to play in order to play in B, you had to, Like, just hold it. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, which you don't. And it's like, no, there's a clamp. And I'm like, oh, wow, clamp, that's cool. And then I'm like, well, what do you do about Ruben? That song's hard to play in D. And I would go. Right. And people would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you doing that? And I'm like, how are you supposed to play it? You tune it to D. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, you know, I had to kind of figure it out. But by the time I got to college, after about a year and a half of playing banjo, um, there weren't really, none of my peer group was playing bluegrass. Right. Um, instead, it was a lot of like jazz and Grateful Dead and other stuff that was just being played. A lot of people in that community but were musicians. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I went to a fairly small liberal arts school in South Carolina, went through university and as a strong art performing arts visual and performing arts school and so a lot of my friends of course the people that i would gravitate towards are other musicians but they may be music majors and that kind of stuff um so they taught me jazz for the most part and classical music and Mm -hmm. um you know the music that we would just go to each other's houses and jam would be you know grateful dead tunes or jazz standards or whatever so i ended up learning all that stuff and then had to kind of relearn bluegrass from some old dudes in charlotte (laughs) and uh learned a lot from them too so it's just been an ongoing you know ongoing thing try to absorb all the music right this is yeah that's a similar path that i had so that you know it rings a bell yeah Uh, did you have books? Because I, 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 I learned from books. I didn't have. I, I didn't have books. No, so so I didn't really have much in the way of that. And like the the any book I encountered would have been like the theory textbook from one of my friends. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, that stuff kind of went over my head. You know, I was just kind of very experiential, um, just learning by ear exclusively yeah. and trying to figure out how to do all that stuff. And spent you know a ton of time practicing on my own and whatnot. But there was a fair fairly large community of people of musicians that you could get together and play with at any point so didn't really get into the books i didn't really start to use books for learning until i started to teach professionally 
back in college, at the end of my undergrad, when I would teach lessons to people, I found it more useful to have some kind of textbook. And the first book that I used was Pete Wernick's Bluegrass Banjo. That was like the one-stop shop for all the things that you would need, which is a solid, solid manual for sure. But you never had you never had lessons per se, and uh, I had one lesson. My my best friend in high school, her dad played banjo back in the day, and he showed me doing banjos and um, Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Those are the two songs, and set me on my way. He loaded me up with a bunch of Flat and Scruggs records and Bluegrass records, and said, "Go for it." And then right. that that's what happened. <laughs> and then I didn't really get any How'd kind you of like, like your picks and everything like that. Little, I did just you know, go. I mean, I I played the picks that the banjo, the original banjo, came with, right. and then you know what I mean. And there were it was a plastic thumb pick right, and metal right. finger picks. I think there were Dunlops, and um, just figured it out. You know, like looking at pictures of other banjo players. Well, they're wearing it like this, and then I would go to the bluegrass session. They would kind of set me straight on some stuff. And I, when I the first few months of playing on your own you're in a bubble and there's nothing to bounce it off of i didn't have a metronome i didn't have other people Mm -hmm. so i was doing a bunch of stuff wrong and by the time Mm -hmm. i got to the jam session they were like no you got to do it like this you should hold your hand like this your right hand needs to do this thing etc etc and so i had to kind of unlearn a bunch of mistakes back in those days but no otherwise it's been up until recently it's been i've been on my own yeah yeah it's a lot there's some, now now it's almost there's an overabundance of of learning material out there and it's true i mean in the you know in the early mid to late 90s in the 90s there wasn't a whole lot you had to go find it in a music store or a library or something and right. now it's just so widespread mm-hmm. which is so good. now you're working at you're teaching banjo and you're teaching at unc right that's right um yeah. how I, long have you been doing that this is my third year i think okay um, sixth semester, um, and it's great. I uh, I heard about it first when the music department at UNC put out a general call for a band director for a new bluegrass initiative that they were starting, that they got funded, and like other schools, like the most famous of which are ETSU and Berkeley, but you know there are a lot of other schools now Mm-hmm. in various parts of the country that are doing bluegrass as some sort of added curriculum or major. Right. And UNC is still technically in its infancy a bit. You can't major in bluegrass. You can major in music and then track bluegrass performance or whatever. Um, right. And so when they first opened it up, they were looking for uh, an instructor, a band instructor, to lead the bluegrass ensemble. And so a bunch of my friends were like, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And I was like, yeah, I don't know that that's my gig. Like... I don't know that I'm the band director mm-hmm. necessarily. And then, and so I didn't, I didn't do anything about it. And the guy that they hired is absolutely the best person for the job. Like he is head and shoulders better than I would have been in that gig for right. sure. Right. And so they're UNC is super lucky to have him, um, which is really good. And then a year or so later, they were able to, with added funding, bring in other instruments. So banjo was the first thing. Mm-hmm. And then the following year it was fiddle. Right. And so when the banjo casting call came in, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll apply, you know, I'll do it and applied and interviewed and they hired me and it's been great. I, I love it. I love the, the environment, the students. Um, it's definitely um, a very energetic and creative place to be, um, right. especially on that part of campus. It's, it's in the old part of campus where 
a lot of the you know the more liberal artsy things exist. So it's it's very nice. It's picturesque, and I have a great relationship with the other faculty and everything. So it's really nice. I like it. Um, since we've been in lockdown, I've been able to teach my students online, which is good. I'm fortunate to be able to do that. And they must be pretty advanced, you know, serious students. They are. Um, okay. They are definitely uh, pretty advanced compared to. Um, compared to some folks, but maybe not as much as others. Um, I've got some really, really bright students, and I've had a lot of really bright students in the right. past. Um, so I'm super happy to to be able to teach them what I know, you know, like go ahead and do all the things, get involved in all the stuff you can, and jam with as many people as you can. Don't, don't think of me as the sole authority on anything. Right. I'm just here to help you, you know what I mean? So they're, they're great. It's really awesome. So when you're teaching uh, just your general private lessons and you're teaching a beginner, kind of, what are some of the things that you like to kind of really get them straight on that you didn't, like that you didn't weren't straight on because because you didn't have a teacher? Um, I'd say the main thing is their timing. That's mm -hmm. one of the primary things is to make sure they're playing everything with good timing. Um, start practicing with a metronome on the first day. Um, and then just try to gear it so that it's it's straightforward. So everybody gets the same thing more or less at the beginning. You know, mm -hmm. here are your rolls: forward, backward, forward, backward, alternating thumb rolls, stuff like that. And um, the basic two finger chords: C, like this, and D seven. Mm -hmm. And so one of the first exercises is just to roll like forward, backward roll. Pick your roll and change chords on the beat. simple foundational kind of stuff um one of the first songs they usually get is cripple creek um so we go through that and explain slides and pull-offs and hammer-ons and things mm -hmm. um and so it's really just a cumulative kind of start at the beginning process i also try to cater my teaching style to the students learning style mm -hmm. so that they you know don't have additional barriers to go through to be able to play and enjoy the instrument so um some people are super visual some people are very you know, ear trained, or uh, they might be really into the numbers aspect of it. Um, they want to know more of the theory and all that kind of stuff. So we just try to cater it to to get them going and enjoying right. it, and then just kind of track their progress, feed them new stuff, the tunes that they'll learn as they as they go along in the first, you know, however many months to a year um, are all vehicles for this or that technique or whatever. So. You know, when they're first starting out, it's very much like baby deer in the woods, like standing up for the first time. You're just trying to get them to stay on their feet and move in a coordinated way so that their timing is good. Um, and then once they get into more, you know, different kinds of repertoire, you know, we usually hit Blackberry Blossom pretty quickly to introduce melodic style. We'll do a single string slash um, rolling version of Whiskey Before Breakfast so they get that in there um, mm -hmm. and just try to cover a bunch of bases at first so then when they get into it and start getting better they they gravitate towards their own style like I want to do this kind of I want to do this I want to do that that kind of thing but they get a little bit of everything so they can be more you know versatile with what they're doing I also try to train people to play with others right? so that they can do that. And that's mostly right. the people that I'm working with aren't trying to be full-time pros. Right. They just want to have fun. Been, 
Yeah. yeah, there's been a couple that I've, you know, a couple students that I've had that have gone on to play right. full time as professional musicians, which is great because then that offers an, an opportunity for more of a continuing ed kind of experience, like, you know, not just banjo knowledge, but like how to be in slash run a band or, you know, yeah. do's and don'ts of the road, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, one question that as a teacher, I always see, um, for beginning students is like how to change a chord from chord to chord in right. time. You know, you mentioned timing, but you know, I've, what are some of your tricks to get people over that little hump of, you know, not stopping to change. Right. To <laughs> that's, a, that's definitely a thing. You end up with like the, the Blackberry that goes like. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I, I really harp on the metronome a lot and like, make sure you're slow, slow it down at mm-hmm. first. Um, right. some songs, you know, you, you have to play fast. They're harder to play slow. If that makes sense, they yeah, want to be definitely. played fast. Plus like you're using different muscles to play fast than you are to play slow. So some tunes you have to kind of do that, but not until you have a handle on how to, like you said, change on the beat. So the main thing for me is like, just make sure that your right hand roll is slow enough to give you enough time to get there and like have your hand Mm -hmm. in place. Don't drop your hand. Sometimes they do that. They'll be like, you know what I mean? Drop their hand. And then it's like, no, no, keep it up there. Um, and make sure that your, your posture is good. You're flat back against a chair. There's no arms. You're not laying on the couch. You're not slumped. Um, you're also putting plenty of arc in your hand, like all these little physiological things that can kind of help. So they're not like this trying to play chord. Um, little, little things like that make a big difference. I found micro movements and just being very hyper aware of how everything works in tandem. Right. And, you know, a lot of times you have to understand too, that a lot of times these folks are a doing this for the first time and B have never done anything like it. So Mm. Sometimes people come in with guitar experience and they're good at changing chords. Yeah, yeah. But it takes them a while to get the right hand stuff. Right. And then the ones that come in with no experience, um, you just have to like really be patient with them and make sure that they're playing at the right tempo. I think that has a lot to do with it. And practice the technical stuff. I mean, there's a lot of muscle memory that has to happen. So you just have to be there and do it. Like when we go over accompaniment, chord boom chucks. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, the first step is just forming the chords in their different versions. And then the next step is like just to try to get you to switch your fingers and move. Like this thing right here, that subtle, tiny little movement is some of the hardest things for them to practice at first because they've never done anything like it before. It's the left hand for right handed people, and their pinky and ring finger have to be kind of the leader. And like these fingers don't do anything most of the time yeah. if you're right handed. So, like being able to just do this. And like give them enough time to just do four of each and switch. And then as we start playing songs, like you start changing the chords that go along with that. So as you practice your melody, you immediately switch into chord changes and back again. Mm-hmm. So you get a complete picture of the tune. What are some other common questions that come up with your students that you always, you know, commonly have to address? Um questions that they ask that they um, ask or that you notice and you you know they may not ask but you, you might but you know to do it yeah. um a lot of it has to do with one of the things that does come up quite a bit that a lot of people don't realize um at least not consciously at first 
when something is difficult, this is across the board. It's not just with banjo, but anything. If you were yeah. if you were trying to screw something together, and if it was hard to do that, you would bear down harder on whatever it is. You're just trying to drive it in there. And so everybody's natural tendency, 100% of the time, is when something is hard, you tighten up. Mm-hmm. And this is the opposite of what you should do with banjo or any musical instrument. Um, and what I found is that it's fairly obvious when you're playing and learning this that you realize you might be playing too hard because it's really loud like your mm-hmm. your right hand is really giving it everything it's got and so it's easy to be like okay back down your right hand a little bit so that you're not you know crushing the strings you don't have to press hard to make a lot of noise with a banjo they make a lot of noise on their own and what you need is dynamic control so one of the little exercises that i give them right hand wise is to pick a roll, pick roll any roll, and get it going at a medium tempo. It doesn't have to be fast. Medium volume. And then get quiet without slowing down. And then get louder without speeding up. And so once they can kind of ride the wave like that, then it's easier for them to back down off of their volume. But the other thing that happens that's more surprising, I think, for the students is the left hand. They crush it with their left hands. Mm -hmm. And they're squeezing the life out of the banjo. And it's like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how hard are you? You can always tell because their hands are like this. And it's like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how hard are you playing that? Oh, like an 8? And it's like, you need to be at like 4. Like where it sounds like something. Like this is this is about as hard as it needs to be. If it's any less, you know what I mean. Right, right. But you don't have to. Right. Yeah, we get we get customers sometimes saying, you know, the banjo, the intonation on the banjo is out. It's like, well, how hard are you playing? I hate right. to say it might be you, but right, it might right. be you. <laughs> right, and like, and the other thing is that you you pull down. That's another thing when you're doing the closed shape chords. The tendency is to pull on it. You're like yanking down on the cord. So you end up with like, like all out of whack. Right. Yeah. yeah. So many, so many players don't realize, think, and they think they have to press down to the fingerboard, not yeah. to the fret. So they're pushing really hard down to the Crushing fingerboard. It. Yeah. And they're like, my hands hurt. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, they're going to yeah. hurt. <laughs> right, they're gonna hurt. <laughs> it's gonna happen. Don't do that. <laughs> but you know, I mean, most of the time, um, the stuff that that, co- that comes up, it's it's pretty uniform. Like people who have never touched the banjo before, more or less, go through the same experience. I yeah. mean, it's pretty much the same thing, and to a certain point. And then once they get past the hump, which tends to be a very muscle memory technical hump, mm-hmm. and they are able to play songs and navigate tunes and chord changes and stuff like that fairly uniformly then the fun then to me that the real fun starts because you can launch into all kinds of stuff different techniques they might want to be they might be curious about the theory how to build chords they might want to learn jazz right away they might want to learn like earl scruggs tunes note for note including the solos just to be super technical about it um they might want to learn how to write their own music arrange their own music that kind of stuff they're adding banjo to their palette as something else to do i had a um years ago i had a student who was um, in beauty pageants and she was like starting to age out of beauty pageants. I guess she was in her early twenties and came to learn banjo because she wanted to do something different in the talent portion of the pageant. And so that was it. Like everybody's either a baton in her words, everybody either sings, dances or is a baton twirler. Mm 
<laughs> and that's it. And so I want to play banjo. And I was like, all right, cool. Like competitive banjo lessons. This is interesting. <laughs> so everything we learned, we had to learn 90 second versions of because that's how long she had to play through it. So if we're playing Clinch Mountain Backstep, you play it one time through, it's like 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And so you have to like figure out a way to, to show her how to do stuff like scripted solos and stuff like that. And, uh, and I would, you know, my usual spiel launch into like, here's how the chords work and here's why they are the way that she's like, stop, stop. I don't want to know any of that. I need 90 second versions of these songs <laughs> and that's it. And I was like, this will be easy. <laughs> and she was great. Like by the end of it, she had no idea what she was doing, but by the end of it, she was just destroying Clinch Mountain Backstep and stuff like that. I mean, just crushing. I'm really good at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, man, you could just really, if you just forget about the pageant part of it. <laughs> Did she win? Did she win? I don't know. I never went. <laughs> you didn't go? I assume so. Uh, probably. I mean, it's the something so different like that. She never really talked about it, though. She was just very hyper-focused on on the uh on the learning i was like that's cool and did you focus her on learning tab or did you or did you get, get her uh, yeah so i'd start everybody starts out on tab uh sometimes though you run into students and this is where the adaptation of your teaching style helps right is that the tab looks like chinese and right. so they they can't do anything with it and they need numbers and so a fascinating way to to teach people songs at least i think it's fascinating it might be more common than not but is that you'd use big number little number Big integer, little integer, and it's like the big number refers to the string. So, you know, one, two, three, four, five. And then the little number refers to the fret. And so you write out like, it looks like algebra homework. Like you just write it all out. The string of numbers, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, big number, little number. And it's just like like a light goes off. Like they got it. Boom. Weird. I've never heard of that one. Yeah. And there's a, I've had a, a student who one time I had to learn his language of understanding. I would try to use tabs. It was, again, Chinese. It didn't make sense to him. And so I would show him what to do, what the tab said. Like, I'm just showing you this. And then he would get out his piece of paper and write what I could only describe as like what looks like football plays. Like he would kind of have these lines that would represent the strings and like X's and O's and arrows going to it and all this kind of stuff. And it was just, con- it looked like Klingon. I was like, I have no idea what's happening there. That's some kind of hieroglyphics. That's crazy. But eventually, you know, as he sort of, we went through these songs and he kind of started doing it and explain what it was. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Let me write down the songs like that, at least kind of like that. And it made all the difference in the world. Like he was able to learn stuff so fast. He wasn't getting frustrated. He practiced more. It was great. But Tab, yes. Yeah, yeah for sure. Okay. Is there a song that that you played when you were first starting out or at or, or not just starting out but when the beginning part of when you were playing that you still like to play that you still kind of come back to you know it, this might be controversial but yeah it's it's uh blackberry blossom man yeah, exactly <laughs> i could have a love-hate relationship with that song well, you but want to play it for us so like yeah it's it's not exactly like my students play it but it's based on it so it's close enough let's see
Very love good. That. Love that tune. You can do so much with it. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, very nerdy. Oh, or this thing like... You can do it like that too, which is a lot of fun. It doesn't so matter. So we can talk about this a little bit. It's it's. I mean, that was the first melodic style tune that I learned. And yeah. Uh, so why don't you let people know what the melodic style is a little bit? So melodic style um, emphasizes open strings, um, so that they ring against each other. Um, so when you hear players like you know Jens. Bela, Tony Trishka, you know, these guys are masters of the melodic style. And um, basically, instead of keeping everything to a kind of a closed position or um, emphasizing the drive of the rhythm, like in traditional bluegrass, you might, or ba- bl- traditional bluegrass banjo, you might hear these kind of sounds. That kind of stuff with. What we were doing with Blackberry just now, you hear a lot of, which depends on how well you can run major scales and stuff together. So, oops, I'm looking at. Looks like I'm watching it in here. <laughs> so. It just gives you like a different palette to paint with. It's all open, you know, open ringing sounds. Um, again, like pointing to people like Jens and Bela and stuff that do this, you know, masterfully. Um, the it's a really fun way to play, and it 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 kind of matches the fiddle lines, I guess, in a way. I think that's how it was originally devised was to be a closer representation of fiddle. That you can get on the banjo um but what's cool about banjo in general and as it pertains to melodic style is that there's so many ways to play the same thing mm-hmm. depending on what you're trying to achieve and you can play any of that stuff in a closed way but then you can also open everything up and just to have that big full sound is really nice with a banjo because a lot of times you know the the decay is so you don't have a lot of time mm-hmm. to get your point across so you have to fill it up with a lot of notes and i think doing that in the melodic style you get a big lush full kind of sound which is nice Mm -hmm. one thing in the melodic style always gave me trouble to get over the hump was um because it's playing open strings up the neck you know you learn how to do it but to improvise off of in the melodic style was very hard to get for that sort of um other than just playing something that you know is going to kind of work out sure Uh, you have any tips on how to kind of get over that that hump there um i think the main thing with improvising in any in any case is listening is to make mm-hmm. sure that you're listening more than you're doing um and then trying to apply the technique that you know the best to get the point across that you're trying to make so in other words you're not trying to play everything you know in every solo you take right um and so it again just like with everything else it starts with a bit of technique that you have to learn it helps to know your g major scale up and down the neck for sure and you can kind of reduce that to positions um, just to get started. There's a lot of ways to do this, so I'm not saying this is the uh, the only way to do it or even a singular way to do it. But and just try to connect phrases. Descending phrases tend to be easier for some reason. You can just kind of figure your way out of something. There's a finality to it, I guess. Um, and then adding adding on different right hand techniques, whether you wanted to add a thing to it a little 
triplet lick or you follow this more diatonic sort of pattern. Like all of that stuff is toolkit based. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, you, you practice this stuff to kind of make it automatic so that when you're, you're playing, your decision making has more to do with the melodic content than the actual technical thing that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you were... So, just trying to stay kind of close to what the melody was-ish. I mean, there was a little bit... It was a little licky sure. in there. But, um, but, but just trying to kind of work the melody up and down so that you still hear the song in it and i think that's what i usually try to impart to my students is like start with the melody when you're ready to improvise like the melody is there for a reason play it but play yeah. it a little differently you know variate here's how you variate change one thing or you're going to change this thing into that thing and see if it fits um substitution is a way to kind of get people started in that regard where you teach them here's a section of music we're going to pull out what's there and you're going to put something in and it's going to be related to what's already there, but it's a little bit different. And once you go down that rabbit hole, you know, you start learning the theory about how all the things are connected and how it works. And right. you move into other other spaces within that, you know, learning your diatonic harmony is very important, I think, for that kind of stuff, just so you understand how things can be templatized according to modes. And we're getting into some more, you know, this might be more of an answer than you're looking for for this, but... That's sort of like how it, how you end up down the rabbit hole. But ultimately, the main thing is listening. Like, how good are you at listening? Yeah. One thing also I noticed when you're you're playing is you're fretting the fifth string with your thumb, which you yep. know you never do. The other <laughs> kind of when when do you decide? You know, use your thumb and not your finger, or do you alternate? Sometimes use your finger and sometimes use your thumb. I mean, I think that has to do with where you are right. geographically on the on the fretboard. It helps to, you know, sometimes you might be. Right. Or you might want to. Kind of. Right. Um, that that sort of thing. I realized I'm very dark in the video. <laughs> it's getting dark in there. Yeah. <laughs> there you it's go. Also, it's also <laughs> raining. So there's that. But um but anyway, uh, so like, you know, you, the use of your thumb might versus your finger might have to do more with, again, geographically where you are, like here might be easier than this. But it just kind of depends on, depends on the person, depends on how big their hands are, depends on where you are on the banjo, that kind of thing. I have pretty big hands, so it's easy for me to stretch across. And do that kind of stuff not out of like a heroic thing it's just easier um so i think having your having the ability to use your thumb on this is beneficial to be able to you know again expand your palette and what you can do with the instrument right um i think every player you know no matter what level you're at finds themselves at points at, at a plateau where, where they just don't they don't feel like they're getting better even if they're practicing and they just start to get uninspired um do you have any tips for kind of getting out of that sort of rut you know that you can find in 
Oh, sure. I mean, I, I liken it to an uneven staircase. It's like at the beginning, sometimes you make like these great gains and it's awesome. And then all of a sudden there's a stair that's too big and you got to climb over it. But then the next one might be really small. So mm -hmm. um, I think the main thing is when you get into those like plateaus, I'm just understanding that it's not a steady up or down. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, layered like that. Um, knowing that kind of helps, but then the actual act of getting out of it usually depends on a shot in the arm of some kind like a fresh set of inspiration before i you know the the common thing would be go see more music go listen to live music more mm -hmm. um you know or go to a jam session or both or like try to interact with other players if you feel like you're stuck doing this stuff on your own all the time find people who are like you and there are, you know, point them towards different community-based things like here's this jam, here's this jam, here's this regular concert series. These guys are coming through town. Go check this out. You know, mm -hmm. she's really awesome. He's really awesome. That kind of thing. And that 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 helps. But in in the COVID times, um, I think just expanding what you're listening to and how you're listening to it can help. You know, you got to gravitate your ear towards something. I think is important to be able to. Um, find the next thing you want to learn you know you might just be in a rut i'm i'm with some of the stuff that i'm writing at least one of the tunes i'm i'm up against a, a wall right now just trying to figure out how to end the thing mm -hmm. um and sometimes you really just have to grind it out you have to sit there and do it over and over and over again to push you past where you are but then other times you know there's the old if it don't fit don't force it mentality so it's like well let me just put this away for a second Mm -hmm. think about something else and so sometimes that means learning a totally different style of music or um expanding what you're listening to to include other styles of banjo music or whatever or doing some like a deep dive into traditional stuff or what is it that got you into this in the first place have mm -hmm. you checked in with that lately you know what i mean um and you know what are you what are you listening to what are your playlists what do you is any of it have banjo in it you'd be surprised how many students are like yeah i don't really listen to banjo music and i'm like well, what do you how do you right. 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 <laughs> gotta listen to something <laughs> um and so that you know that that kind of stuff helps um learn a different thing you know learn a classical piece or learn a jazz tune or right. you know learn your chord theory or something like that and and start to experiment with different chords and different shapes and progressions and stuff and you'll find that there's a whole new way to do it you know like there could be a whole new set of um sounds out there that you're not not even aware of mm -hmm. and that kind of helps so there's lots of different ways to do it. it it definitely you know the despair can be real for sure and yeah. i always just try to tell people that it, it passes it'll pass you just have to keep on keeping on don't give up right. And you mentioned, you, you know, you're writing something. Um, so have you been composing recently or, and do you want to talk about that some? Sure. It's been a, a very creative quarantine, um, uh -huh. just being able to sit here and, and compose. And I've been um, chipping away at 24 preludes uh, in all 12 keys and relative minors for string quartet and banjo. So writing string quartets uh, or preludes for string quartet, and um, are you writing the string the, the string quartet parts too? Um, for the most part, no. Okay. I'm composing, and then uh, I will I work with an arranger. Okay. Who's really great, and he helps put it together. Um, 
with a lot of feedback and, and stuff. He's just much faster at it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I could do it with the, the music program, but it would it would take an eternity. It really would. <laughs> I'd still a lot be of on the first two. Yeah. <laughs> just trying to get all the parts right. But he can bang it out. So all I have to do is give him the score. You know, I write down the, the, yeah. the yep. tune, the score. Tune. And send it to him. And he puts puts it together based on the notes that I gave him on the piece and comes back and he's, he's great. I mean, it's been really good and I can't wait to hear real people play him because he sends me the MIDI files of the strings and it's like, man, that's great. I just want to hear a human do it. <laughs> Is there <laughs> so any taste of that you can play for us? Does it work by itself or do you need um, to? Play? Sure. Yeah. So some of the preludes are standalone string quartets. I mean, I can okay. play them all on banjo. They were all except for one, or two were written on a banjo and those other ones were written on the computer. Um, one of which includes fingerings that are impossible, like <laughs> right. ridiculous stretches and stuff. But for the most part, they're all banjo centric. Um, let's see if I can, we'll try this one. This is the, the B major one. This, this is relatively new and could be a train wreck. So we'll see. This is exciting live TV folks. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Go ahead. <laughs> Let's see. So let's see what happens. All right, very good that's great thanks man i um composed it and edited it with some help from some friends 
and have some new fingerings to learn so that are easier fingerings i just haven't learned them yet so a little stumbly but that's okay it's new it definitely has you know non-traditional fingerings going on yes. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice it's always nice to hear fresh music on on the, on the banjo you know not awesome thanks man the thank same you thing. And then I'm jump in real quick, yeah. don't mind. Oh, sure. Because I know composition, uh, Hank, is a, is a big thing for you. Um, we, I think pre-COVID, you came out here. I think it was, I can't remember when it was now, but we filmed a bunch of videos with you. It was in February. Um, I think it so was. So I have right? seen was, you within the year. Oh, yeah, you're right. I was lying at the beginning. So <laughs> it, was a, it was a memorable occasion at IBMA, which is why it stuck out. Um, but, you know, composition is a huge part of what you talk about. And I think we have a whole video dedicated to it, as I said. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about your approach to composition uh, on the banjo and, and um, how, how, you know, any tips for people that might be interested in doing it, but just have no idea where to start? Sure. Um, so uh, it's worth mentioning that um, Jens Kruger is a very dear friend of mine and has taught me a lot about music and banjo and life in general. And um, I've been writing tunes since I started playing banjo, really, and um, have had plenty of recordings and things like that up to this point, or up to hanging out with him, but he kind of opened my eyes to other ways of doing it. Um, so before uh, Jens and I got together, I was very much um, kind of looking at it from the point of view of a scientist, experimenting with different things, trying different techniques out um, and or trying to imitate stuff I heard that was cool um, I've been a fan of Bela's music Bela Flex music since the beginning and for me that you know when I first started playing banjo I heard the flag tones before I heard flattened scrugs and that was that was it I was like man this is great but I also knew that I had to start at the beginning and get to that point before I could ever play anything like that and so all along the way as I'm trying to figure stuff out I'm writing tunes that are kind of representative of me figuring things out. Um, you know, like, oh, I just discovered whole tone scales, you know, 12 or so years ago. Let me write a tune with a whole tone thing in it. And that comes out, you know. Um, or I'm going to write a Latin tune. Or I'm going to write this, you know, jazzy number or this melodic thing in D or something like that. So you're just kind of just figuring out things based on what your ear is guiding you towards. So fast forward to five or so years ago when Jens and I started hanging out. His big thing, and, and I agree with, is the emotional connection. Before, the uh, emotion served the technique. The technique came first in my mind because... That was what I was, that was where my ear was being pulled. But with Jens, the emotion is most important and the technique is there to serve it. So, what he had me do uh, on one such occasion was um, he's like, sit with, you know, he's like, you don't, you're not, you don't have any kids or anything like that. So, like, think of your family, think of like the most warm thing you can think of before you compose. It helps to have a picture of them, you know, look at a picture of your family or whatever. And then remember something that happened that was really great, like a really great memory from your childhood or a place you went or something like that. And once you feel like you're, you're full, then start to just start to play and see what comes out. And it was fairly organic, like, you know, just sort of 
play what you feel, play what you hear, do what you've been doing. But here are some techniques that you can do to help bring the emotion out of the playing. And I think we covered some of that stuff in the videos that I did for you guys mm -hmm. back in February that are on the World Wide Web at the moment. Um, and some of that stuff is... Page. Yeah, and some of that is just technical information stuff that you can do, like... Ian says it's a lot. If you can move the, the neck of the banjo in a way to get more of that out of there and like and understand that even if you've just been playing for a little while and you know a few chords you know enough to put something together and it begins with that emotional connection to whatever it is that you're doing so you're trying to evoke something you want people to listen to it and hear it and say this reminds me of or while you were playing that i i thought of this or or that or whatever um and it's no coincidence that when you go to a Kruger Brothers show, there isn't a dry eye in the house. I mean, they know how to do that to the to the ninth degree. It's great. So when you're just trying to like put together a song, one thing ends was like, think of a dialogue. Think of a conversation. You have uh, a call, a response, and I think you use Salt Creek as the example first. Is sort of a statement. And then would be a question. And then you reiterate the first statement. And then the other person understands what you said. So it's basic call and response kind of stuff. And one of the first things he was like, just take, pick two chords. Pick two chords and put them together. And see how they act with the, interact with each other. Find all the places on the fretboard you can play those two chords. And apply different techniques to them. So at first, maybe you'll just play you'll pinch. So that kind of gives you an idea of where things are at. And then maybe you'll apply a different technique like a roll. And I'm not saying anything, I'm playing the same thing, just doing it in different areas on the neck, different oh, inversions yeah. of the same two chords. So like, how do you make that into a conversation? How do you apply that to the, the Salt Creek example? And you just take, you do it, you can do it by position. If you need three things to be said, a call, a response, repetition, and then the resolution of it, then you can kind of treat it like that geographically. Again, this is all very mechanical. So you want to apply a fair amount of emotion to this stuff. You don't have to use a lot of crazy chords. You don't have to do a lot. Um, and if you listen to his compositions, you know, it's all based around very simple melodic ideas, very easy themes, things you can immediately go and hum. And that was another thing he, he emphasized quite a bit was, can you hum it? Can you listen to that? Can I, can I play this tune for you and you know how to whistle it when we're done? If not, and that's what you're going for, and it's okay if it's not because you can play anything. I mean, literally any kind of music is totally fine. But again, if you're just trying to get started with composing and, and hash out maybe something that you hear in your head, this is a way to do it. Think of it as a simple dialogue, whether you're using chords, individual notes, whatever. Um, you can further reduce it to just play a simple melody on one on one string, on one string. Just use a few notes. As a call, the response can be... And then, of course, the resolution. So that's one way to do it is just, a, again, dialogue-based sort of way to approach composition. If you're going to do it with 
one string, then that gives you the opportunity to add harmony in such a way. So you could go. Just one extra note. Add a third extra note to make a, you know, triad, a chord. But if you wanted to change the way it sounded and keep the original melody, you just change the notes that are underneath the top part, so... And all I did was make everything from a major to, the, to its relative minor. Um, and that can, you know, that alone can change up a lot of things, and you could do so much with just that. Um, other things, you know, uh, you're not limited to that. Um, that will that will get you part of the way. Um, there are plenty of other technical things that you can use. In that last piece I played, there's some pattern-based stuff that isn't um, apropos of like diatonic chord shapes or anything, this sort of thing. Or it's just real pattern which you can move around. That could be used to you know to great effect. Um, as a building block, as a thing. But again, you know, the, the starting point is emotion. And if you're able to evoke a certain thing, people can listen to it and think, wow, that was, that reminded me of whatever. Um, I think that's where you're getting somewhere as far as like the listenability of it. But again, it's totally and completely subjective. So yeah. just because I'm doing it this way doesn't mean everybody has to. That's right. I, I like the going back and forth on the earlier in that segment you were talking about. You know, maybe playing the chord as a as a as a pinch, and then maybe trying it the same thing, but as a roll, and then maybe trying. And again, it sounds it changes the whole um, right everything about it. You know, the feel of it, the, the texture of it. Totally, and you can say that it gives you the ability to sort of reiterate what you were trying to say a different way. You know, it, it leads mm -hmm. to different sections. You could change the change the key if we were just doing it here. You know, you could easily do the same sort of thing you just change everything to a major key and maybe like that there's something there you know it's very baroque -y. um but that's all right brushes, baroque right do it brushes different textures basically yeah exactly different yeah. palette to paint with i like it how much composition um you, you know your, your band hank patty and the current which is i've seen a few times now which is a lot of fun um, we'll get onto the IBMA thing in just a second, but sure. segueing into from that composition standpoint, because you're not exactly straightforward. Like when the first time I saw you, I thought, oh, it's like <laughs> almost like it's, you know, it's almost like dream theater with banjos and mandolins. And stuff. It's, <laughs> nice. it's, it's really, really cool. But it's, um, how much composition goes into that, into the band itself? I mean, we mostly play our own stuff, um, one way or the other. Patty and I, write a lot of tunes. Um, Billy writes, has written a song or two with us. Um, Stevie, Stevie's new. He hasn't had a chance to yet. He's still learning all our stuff and or, you know, contributing to the arrangements and stuff. But it's very much a collaborative process. You know, um, it might be like, all right, I have this written thing. Everybody learn it. Or I have um, a chord progression, a melody, and I'll send it to Patty and she'll write the words to it. A lot of our tunes have been written like that, um, where I'll come up with a melody or an idea for a melody, and she'll kind of start to write words to it, and it's fleshed out as a as a song. It goes through a lot of iterations, a lot of arrangement, stuff like that. Um, the one of the good things about this band is that 
Everyone can more or less read music. I'm probably the junior member when it comes to being able to read well. I wasn't trained on that. I don't know, you know, I mean, I know how to read sheet music and stuff, but I'm not very quick. I have to to go through it in my own pace and, and all that. But Patty, Billy, and Stevie are all trained, classically trained musicians and can read really quickly. So as long as I kind of, I write everything in tab and then convert it mm-hmm. to standard notation, then I can hand them that, hand it to Patty or Billy or whoever edit this, make this make sense for the others. If I missed, you know, some rhythm stuff or whatever, a marker here and there. Um, and then it, it, it's easier to teach the song. Um, that said, you know, some of the stuff is more organic, like it's more just bluegrassy, you know, not a hard chord progression or a deep arrangement. You just have to learn the song, learn that, how to play it like any other band would. Um, but all in all, it's fairly collaborative. And since we've been in quarantine, we've been able to, you know, we're all spread out. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, Patty's in Greenville, North Carolina. Billy's in Durham, North Carolina. And Stevie's in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Wow. So we don't get together that much, but we are able to play together on the computer uh, through a program called BandLab, which is mm-hmm. sort of garage bandish, but it's web-based multi-tracking so we can be wherever and just put assemble songs together and assemble our videos and stuff. Um, and so we're still able to create, we're still able to write new stuff. We've been working on new material while we've been locked down, so that's good. We're still productive. That's cool. And you, you, I think you said right before we came on air that you, listen to me, on air like we have a TV show, <laughs> uh, right before we went live, I should say, um, you, you had the opportunity to have one or two in-person rehearsals as well uh, during the lockdown yeah. as well, which has been probably good for the sanity, I would think. Yes, very big morale booster. Um, and we had to, uh, speaking of IBMA, we had to do our, our taping for that for what yeah, would for be... You know, the fest, the wide open bluegrass. Um, so that day we were able to rehearse and eat mediocre pizza and, you know, talk junk and then go play a gig. It was great. <laughs> it felt like real life. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, we we're just real fortunate to be able to do it for sure. Yeah, let's talk about IBMA for a minute um, because I know there's probably a few people watching that uh, at least heard of it, maybe even attended every year. You know, for those that don't know IBMA and, and the world of bluegrass specifically is the event uh, that's held in Raleigh every year. Um, it's coming up in what? It's in a week or so, right? A uh, couple of weeks. Couple yeah. Of weeks, yeah. So obviously with everything going on, they've been forced to go into uh, a virtual setting, uh, just like most other things. And, you know, it's on one hand, it's for me personally, like I'm super bummed because it's one of my favorite events to go to. Um, is you know get to hang out with you guys and 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 see everybody else at the same time. Yeah. And uh, Deering will be attending on a virtual level. But how <coughs> is that working from from a musician standpoint? Um, sounds like you're pre-recording everything. Uh, are there any live streams, or is it all kind of pre-recorded and then and then sent out? I think it's all pre-recorded as far as the performance and stuff goes. I think um, music-wise, I have to go back and check and see what you know, see what the website says and stuff. But for our part, um, we taped our set um, out in front of Memorial Hall where they have the award show. Uh, it was really cool to be able to do that all lit up. Um, and I think they're going to broadcast it the Saturday of what would be Street Fest, Saturday mm-hmm. of IBMA, I think. I don't know for sure yet. Um, I think they're still working that stuff out. But 
Um, it'll all be, yeah, no, it'll all be edited. It's been taped. I think everybody's done now, at least in the local area. I know they did a taping here and they did a taping in Nashville. Um, so it's all going to be available via the swap card app, I think is how they're doing it. And yeah. it's free. Um, I do know that you can, you just have to sign up and get the app or whatever and, or go to the website and, um, you can watch it. Um, I'll put but a link in it'll the be chat interesting. Watching. So it, I'll put a link down in there on how you can sign up and everything like that. In just a second. It's, yeah. it'll be a bummer that we can't play together, but I'm glad that we're able to do this. Because it's yeah. better than not doing it. I mean, so far <laughs> since IBMA has been in Raleigh, so far Hurricane hasn't been able to stop it, and a pandemic. So, <laughs> shy of civil war, I think we're all right. <laughs> Let's keep that up, babe. Shall we? Yeah, let's <laughs> shy of total breakdown. <laughs> I think we're all right. <laughs> Absolutely, no, that's cool. Um, let's talk about your banjo for a bit. Oh, sure. Um, then, uh, we'll go round at, at this end and then this one is more of a stick um, <laughs> it's like a lollipop kind of upside down yeah it's like a drum with a stick yeah <laughs> you're holding a maple blossom I am so I had this you guys built this banjo for me back in 2005 um, and Sorry. it's been the road warrior for the last 15 years um, and it's wonderful it's customized you guys put a thinner neck on it so this is not as thick as it would be um, to match more of the crossfires. I have a crossfire, so they feel alike in my hands. It also has a radius fingerboard, which is now stock, but at the time wasn't. Um, has a pickup, um, a couple other bells and whistles, and sounds amazing. I love it. Um, while I was out there in February, we took it apart and put it back together again. Gave it some much-needed TLC. And, um, you know, it's been, that was in February. It's been almost eight months. I'm probably going to have to send it back <laughs> sooner than later. We're ready. I've, been doing, I've been sitting here doing this for 10 hours a day <laughs> for the last six months. So um, even though it's not performance playing, it's definitely, you know, still playing it all the time. Um, but, yeah, no, this, this banjo is great. I have a, an old J.A. Jones pickup inside of it with a little metal sliver that sits right underneath the middle foot of the bridge, which you can't see. Oh, yeah. And then this gold tone mic, um, which is very nice. And that's the live rig, pretty much. I know. Shh. No, it's okay. They they know I'm all deering. It's oh, all that's good. Right. We're all good. We're all good. <laughs> um, and then, does it have the Wojski tone ring in it? I forget what you Does have. it have the what? The, the Kruger tone ring, the Wojski? It does not. Um, it has the the regular the stock tone ring at the time. I thought it did, um, but that was Chad confirmed that it is just the it's the stock tone ring. Um, but yeah. to, tonally, this thing sounds amazing. I mean, it is really just a wonderful instrument. Yeah. Now we can't go on without talking about the other one lurking in the background there that you can't sure. quite see. But I know everyone loves these. So let's talk about the mighty, mighty crossfire. Almost everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One person I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, our buddy Chad is not a fan. Sure. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's introduce the crossfire to the world. I don't know if you can hear this. So this crossfire is now 21 years old. Wow. Um, yeah, I always wanted one. I never got one. And... Uh, 
I just never made the plunge of. Yeah, this was my. I wouldn't have been able to get one. This was my undergraduate college graduation present. Uh-huh. My parents were like, "So, we want to get you a laptop, but we know you want that banjo. <laughs> <laughs> which, which would you rather?" I'm like, "Please, the laptop will be obsolete in six months. Right, right. Banjo is forever, That's especially right. this one. This is the kind you sell your soul to play." Yeah. Halloween banjo but no this thing I mean this has been on every tour I've ever been on um, just about and is again is like a joy to play if the the maple blossom is a Bentley this is a Corvette stingray like this thing wants to be <laughs> cranked up and played um, and I have at the moment so the other than the factory stuff that it comes with it has EMGs here here you guys know where they are and I put a MIDI synth guitar pickup on it and recently put the Julia Bell strings on it. It's still in G, but it's got JBs on it because you can you get a lot a lot more sound out of them. I mean, they're really great for this because you don't have to play the electric hard. Right. You know, you know at all. Like it can you can have a pretty uniform attack the entire time pretty low on that one to ten scale we were talking about it can be a three or a four just enough to kind of get the sound to come out because you don't mm-hmm. have to pull it down you can turn it up as loud as you want and apply whatever effects so for me it, it acts like a different instrument and when it's rolling it rings a lot like it's got a lot of a lot more tone there's not as much separation in the sounds that than you would hear on the acoustic banjo so like It's big, like that's pretty big. It's of course, it's, there's some effects on it right now, but right. Um, even without all that, it's just dry. Uh, this is fairly dry, so still, it's got a lot to say mm-hmm. as far as that goes. Um, so for me, like this thing. It's almost like a different instrument. I mean, it, it operates like a banjo, but you can do things with it that you can't usually otherwise. And and one of those things I think is like fast single string stuff. You can like it's it's great for that. Right. Even with the heavy strings on it. Um, Why do you think it's because you can play with a lighter touch and get a lot more sound? Yep. Um, it doesn't require you bear down on it. And and it doesn't, you know, if you're doing long, long passages, um, long repeated passages, single string at speed on the acoustic, that's going to physically wear you out after yeah. a while. But this doesn't, you don't get as worn out as quick because right. you don't have to play as hard. It's great. There's also more than like an electric guitar versus acoustic guitar. The, the notes, you know, the, the duration of the note the, and the attack is smoother right. into each other. So you, that single note, single string thing on, it's really hard on banjo to get it to sound smooth. It often sounds chunky. It can be, yeah, kind yeah. of kind of truncated or whatever. But with this one, it's not so much. And yeah. and so as a result, you can, when you do use the melodic style open ringing strings, it can mm-hmm. be used to great effect in that regard because you can kind of open it up and then close it like, a, right. you, know, like right. you would a piano, right. which is pretty cool. Um, but it's a blast. It's a lot of fun. I haven't. It hasn't gotten as much love lately because we haven't been performing. But um, I do play it when we had our weekly music series here in Raleigh, beer and banjos. Um, I would play it every week at that because you can do. We can play different music 
Um, I would, I'd try not to play bluegrass on this thing. Yeah. Um, I've had to, like when I send my banjo back to you guys to get worked on, this is the banjo that I end up playing. Mm-hmm. And so um, playing bluegrass on it is a little problematic <laughs> at times, right. Right. especially live. Well, again, like the note thing, like we just talked about, the notes, you don't get the, the separation of the notes as much, you know, so that they start to bleed other. into each other. Yep, that they do. Want to play for so- a tune for us on that? Sure. I no idea. Rendition. Let's see. Let's see. Let me know if it's too loud or not loud enough. Is that okay? All right. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Um, let's see. I don't know. Um, we'll try. Allison Brown tune? No, that's an original. Um, okay. Called De La Luz. Back in uh, 1951, Earl Scruggs and I traveled back in time to um, <laughs> hang out with Fidel Castro. We got in his DeLorean, <laughs> rode down there, and we talked about cigars and music and stuff and showed them bluegrass, and they showed us their their stuff, and that's what came out. 
<laughs> is that what you're thinking about when you're, you're you're getting into that mode for composition? Fidel Castro um, and DeLoreans and no, that all came. That's all stage banter. <laughs> um, I, I think that was like before I mentioned. I think I'll sit here and write a Latin tune. I think that was what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called De La Luz. Um, and it's fun it's to play cool. again. It's like super shredding. I don't know if this will translate to the Zoom, but uh, we do have this too. This happens sometimes. I don't know if you can hear that. Is that yeah. coming through? Or you can go. Having like the drone to play off of is super right. cool. Um, yeah. that's a lot of- try to get try to get funky with it, but is that with the MIDI setup you're using that, or is that yeah yeah? Um, probably hear that one better. Or. It's fun. It's too much yeah, fun, yeah. actually. <laughs> can make all, the, all the bleep bloop noises. We'll, we'll have to bring Chad in on one of these and talk about future plans for the Crossfire. <laughs> I've said it live now, so I've got no escaping. Um, a couple of questions here from uh, the wonderful, wonderful people in the chat who um, lots of people uh, enjoy listening to you talk today. So good. thank you, uh, Hank. Um, First of all, any thoughts on Chlorohammer as a style? Do you do you ever get into that much? Um, I don't know how to do it very well. I don't. I can't really claw hammer. I got one lesson one time um, backstage at Gray Fox, and I, in exchange, gave that banjo player a three finger lesson, and that was the extent of it. So, yeah. um, I think it's great. People who can play claw hammer. Um, it's it's awesome to hear. You know, Jens can do it really well. A good buddy of mine, Joe Newberry, is a great claw hammer player. Victor Furtado yeah. is a very awesome. innovative claw hammer player. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's nice to hear this part of the world and where I live in North Carolina, there's a lot of old time music. And so you hear a lot of, there's a lot more claw hammer players out in the world um, over here than in some other spots. Um, and it's become, you know, more popular over the years. It's definitely a, a very accessible way to approach the banjo um in a folk style um so you know props to anyone who can do it really well i think it's great just not what you focus on it's just not my yeah it's just not my thing sorry i I get inquiries about claw hammer lessons and i'm like you could probably teach me at this point (laughs) 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 do you have any advice a couple people asking about um uh good uh, places to go for uh, online for tabs specifically um, um is there anywhere that you recommend people to, to go check out you know the the standard answer to that is like banjo hangout or or whatever um where they have tab libraries um but sometimes you have to search for stuff sometimes there's stuff that's been scanned in from old magazines banjo magazines banjo newsletter stuff like that um and i think we're still sort of in the in the early days of compiling the real book <laughs> if you will so back in the day when real books weren't published by mel bay or whoever people would trade these things like grateful dead tapes and so you would get like um 
you would get a copy of the real book in whatever key for whatever instrument or something like that, but it was all fairly underground, and then they published it. And I don't know that we're there yet for banjo tabs. Like, there isn't, like, a universal source yet, I don't think. If there is, I don't know about it, and I would like to. Um, there are plenty of classical music databases. There's a lot of even Irish folk music and stuff like that, and then other other forms, Bulgarian music and stuff. Like, there's a lot of that online you can find in different databases, but... As far as banjo tabs and stuff go, you know, there isn't as much out there. So that could be a project, you know, waiting in the wings for someone who's industrious and wants to collect all that stuff. It would be really great. I think a lot of people are doing a great job collecting recordings, for sure. Um, there's a lot of that. But what you don't get as much of is the, the tabs to back them up. Yeah. I've been trying to get better about writing out all the stuff for other people as well. I do for my students. My students get inundated with tabs that I've written. Um, but again, collected over over time from people from certain databases. It's out there. It's just not in one place. Mm-hmm. I guess for the more adventurous among them, half the, the, half the challenge and the fun almost can be trying to write them yourself. Trying to figure them out. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just it. So, you know, sometimes like figuring out how to play banjo from a score you know on a piano a c is in one place middle c is right there in the center of the piano but on a banjo you got it here and then it's here and then it's here all the same note which one is it you know what i mean which one am i supposed to play so having scores converted to tabs and having just more tabs out there in general would be super helpful sounds like a company that might want to take that on Yeah, uh, the banjo reserve asks, and this is actually an artist of questions too, which is cool. And we kind of touched on it. Can you ask Hank what his thoughts are on getting the best sound live and up on stage? Any special mic setup or any tips as far as so that's the, what you're allude, alluding to there at the banjo reserve is what we colloquially call gear hell. So you're you're getting into the the nitty gritty of what you can and can't get away with. So my first foray into live sound professionally, um, trying to push my banjo into you know a PA speaker, was met with a lot of frustration because at the time the technology just wasn't there. My I will say though the Jones pickup that I have in my acoustic banjo is great. Um, combined with a mic to blend it, you get the full range of the sound. And that's fine, especially for um, a only. If there's a drummer or some other loud instrument on stage, it's really hard to get the acoustic banjo to push and not feedback. So there's different combinations of things that from, that I've tried over the years. I realize that it's different for everybody. This is one of them. Um, this will push over any drum kit any day of the week, and you don't have to ever worry about it feeding back. That said, it doesn't sound as much like a banjo as the acoustic banjo does, right? So if you're trying to play, you know, you have a banjo already, you don't have a crossfire, you're not going to invest in one or find one someplace. And you have a banjo and you want your existing banjo to sound good live, um, I recommend a combination of, of pickup and mic some way, somehow. Um, and learning your frequencies is very important learning what frequencies your banjo in particular um sound the best in versus sound the worst in versus our problems versus it's like a sweet spot and you find the sweet spot 
and you try to dial in as best as you can. Um, and that's all well and good if you're by yourself. As soon as you throw other musicians in the mix, then your EQ essentially has to change so that it's not sucking up all of the air from someone else. So there, every instrument has its own spot. A lot of times in live settings in bluegrass, when instruments are plugged in, it's the banjo and the guitar that argue with each other because they share these three and middle register. And so a lot of times the mandolin and the fiddle can get away with their little spots. They're good up high and the bass cuts through too. So in the middle range, uh, it's tough to get it right. And that's where your EQ comes in. You have to know that because you might be playing your banjo on stage by yourself and you may not like the way it sounds that much, but when it comes out with the rest of the sound, it's gonna blend better if it's in its own little spot. That being said, you're still always striving to get the banjo to sound as good as it can, regardless of the situation. Um, it also helps to bring your own monitor engineer and sound engineer wherever you go. Um, <laughs> if you can't do that, then you know being able to communicate with the engineer that's on hand, that is pushing your buttons, um, it helps to know exactly how to communicate what you need with them. And knowing your frequencies is part of that, for sure. That's a big part of it. Um, also, knowing how to operate your own gear, because you're going to go through a bunch of it before you figure out what the right combination is and what you're going to rely on the most to get the job done and have it sound the same night after night. That's also the other thing, is that is the consistency, because nothing will ruin a gig like bad tone. Even if you know your stuff sounds good and you've worked it out at home and you've played it through other PA systems and you get to whatever club... Or situation and all of a sudden it doesn't sound like that that can ruin it i mean it really can be a big letdown if your tone isn't the way you want it so there's a certain amount of self-sufficiency that's involved in that if you're playing acoustic and you don't have to worry about plugging stuff in or pushing over drums or a loud rock and roll situation and you can get away with microphone like a, this i have this this guy big condenser right here right. um ear trumpet mic Knowing how to use that mic is, is super crucial. Learn, learning how to move in and out of the mic. Um, banjos tend to be really loud, so we don't have to get right up on it a lot of times. Um, whoever's singing typically is going to be right in the face of this kind of microphone. Um, sometimes banjo players in acoustic settings like that just have a little mic off to the side. Like You step into that when you want to take your solo and back off when you're not. And this way you don't have to crush it with your right hand or, or do all kinds of acrobatics to get it to sound in the mix. So learning how to work a mic is super important. And also, again, having an engineer that knows how to use those mics is also super important. So it's a, you know, it's a thing that we all work on together. But there are, it's, there are many ways to dial in live sound. And it's, it just takes a ton of time to figure that out. It's, it's important. Though. There's a lot of, I mean, I, I did it when I was coming up bands and stuff is that the idea that just because you have it dialed in in your bedroom right you know or, or in your garage or something like that that right. somehow it's going to you know sound exactly the same when you step it's on stage not, with three or four <laughs> not even close and it's not even close and it's like why yeah. doesn't that sound so bad right and it's true it's very true so understanding that and just having that open-mindedness is probably half the battle because you're going to spend it, it is. so and much time dialing it in, trying to make it sound the same as your. As your and you know, you you know, a lot of times people know what they what they're searching for. You know what it's, I mean? Like what they want. Like they're they're like, I want it to sound like this. And I know for me, one of the early 
I want it to sound like this was Alison Brown. Like, that tone is the sweetest tone in the world. I mean, I couldn't mm-hmm. believe it. The first time I heard her, I was like, that's exactly. And there's drums and a piano in the band. Like, that is exactly Electric what it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? I mean, granted, they're not playing rock and roll. They're not over there crushing it, but they are crushing it. So that's that's the thing. Like, I wanted it to sound like that. Bela's tone, of course, was always great. And Yen's, like, all that. I'm like, man, which, what's it going to be? And Yen's and I had a long talk about you know, banjo set up to get the tone you want. And it helps. I mean, I've done all kinds of things to the banjo to get it to sound the way I want it to. And, and he's helped me out quite a lot with that. Um, uh, and, and again, it's just a lot of trial and error, a lot of tweaking and trying to, to mess with different things. As we all know, in the banjo world, there are a lot of parts. So every one of those parts can be tuned just about. So, you know, you have to kind of you have to sit there and mess with the thing to get it to the way you want it to sound acoustic first, and then find complementary electronics to get it to sound like it does otherwise, and dial it in. And for those of you curious about things like pickups and, and stuff, and, and microphone technique and that kind of thing, so on the pickup side, there's a few out there. EMG make one. I think Fishman make one. Uh, for Deering, we almost exclusively use Cavanjo. Uh, Mm-hmm. pickups uh, we put them we can put them in the head uh, of anything from a good time all the way through to sierra's calicos on up um, really really easy and they're passive which means they don't take a battery which means they're not likely to right. die in the middle of a set which we really like <laughs> that's uh, happened with round, <laughs> oh, i'm sure uh, that's, that's the double nine volt isn't it on the crossbar, it, has, it just has the one now there's one, just yeah. one in it. yep um, i mean that nine volt will last for like seven years but yes but it will run out halfway through that really important song that you're trying to play yes as, as a bass player i know exactly what that means <laughs> that's happened to me many times um the uh yeah so that on the on the pickup side on the mic side i will take this opportunity to give a quick teaser because hopefully in the next few weeks we have a series of videos coming out with our good friends at royal microphones and uh good friends at compass records a series of videos on proper mic placement for banjo and all this kind of thing. So there's, there's going to be lots of different things uh, to look out for there. So I that's just good. had to drop that teaser in there for as well. No, that's so good. That's important. It's, it's, yeah, it's a public service there. announcement is what it is. And <laughs> call it a shameless plug, I think. Yes. So, um, all right. That's cool. That's an hour and a half gone by in a flash. Dave, do you have any more questions and or final thoughts for the day? No, I don't have any, any more questions. Just thanks for, thanks for doing this, Hank. It's it a lot of sure. fun. I'm yeah. happy to do it. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I think probably the most important thing we've got to talk about before we go, though, is your brand new range of scented candles. Yes. <laughs> this is right. Can we, so, can we, do, can we address the, the Hank Paddy in the current Etsy shop real quick? Yes, we can. So, we, you know, in times of plague and strife, everybody needs a side hustle. And uh, we partnered with a local candle maker. Um, that makes soy vegan hand poured candles that are uh, they give back to animal rescues. Um, the company is called Wicks for Wags, and uh, we consign to sell candles with our own custom labels. Hold on, I'll show the people at home. Everyone can get a really good smell of this via Zoom. Speaking of plugs, look at that. Mm. that branded candles. So. We have an Etsy page you can you can get your own candle, and if you don't see it on there, if you say, "Hey, do you have this scent?" Email email the people, <laughs> and they can make it. Um, I just but, threw that in the well, the link is in the chat, and I'll put it in the description for the video as well. 
and it's been you know it's been great it's been great to work with this company and the 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 candle cell and it's a weird merch item of course it's not t-shirts or cds or hats or whatever um we do have all that stuff on the etsy page though just saying um and uh you know it, it's crazy as we move on into the digital world you sell less cds which sucks because they're the highest quality and people go nuts for other souvenirs which is great you know like well we love to see people in hank and patty shirts but you know having the candle line has been huge um it's helped us out in this pandemic it's definitely helped keep the merch sales going but at, at live shows people love them i mean who doesn't want to feel relaxed you know what I mean? <laughs> i'd argue with that I'll argue with that. Plus, they do good. You know, they do a good thing. They give back to animal rescues, and it helps the our furry friends. Absolutely. Well, we, we got a lot of uh, uh, Hank and current fans here at the company too, including our, our man Sam, in a repair technician who worked uh, with you, I think, and will probably do your your banjo when it comes in next time. Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah. He's often seen parading his Hank and current T-shirt around the building. I don't know that we're going to be okay in California burning a scented candle in the middle of the workplace. No, I wouldn't do that right now. No, but, <laughs> you know, he may want to pick one up. Um, I wouldn't do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of fun, Hank. That was really, really good. And, yeah, thanks, um, guys. So for anybody wanting to see them, there's a, there's a bunch of videos on our, on our YouTube page of, of, of the band playing some stuff. They will be performing um, at World Bluegrass, IBMA. There is a link uh, in the chat here. I encourage everyone to go check that out because Deering's there and bourgeois guitars are there and I think the Kruger brothers are playing and there's a it's whole bunch like of stuff going on. Real life, it's going to be awesome. It's just like real life, just from the comfort of your own home. Um, and then buy a scented candle. Support Yes, or, or a shirt if you like shirts or a CD. There you go. Or what All have right. you. <laughs> just say hi. <laughs> I know you put your banjo down, but you want to play us out real quick? Sure, I was just switching. Oh, you were switching. Sure, sure. Uh, let's see. What can I play? People will enjoy. And remember, everybody, this this video will be live. Uh, sorry, available to watch um, on the new page, nice. DeeringBanjos.com forward slash Deering Live, um, nice. with all of the other um, episodes that we have. And we've got some cool stuff coming up. I've been made like I say, is in two weeks, and we've got a, a multitude of videos that particular week. And Dave, am I right in saying that next week we've got uh, Mr. Don Flemons of? Uh, cool. I believe Caroline. so. I have, to, I have to check the calendar, but <laughs> yes, but we'll be we'll be emailing out about that. I'm 99 percent sure that's that's correct. So, uh, Hank, what do you got for us, my friend? So um, I thought I was just running down the list of things. Uh, I thought maybe an old an oldie, but a goodie would be good. This is a tune I wrote a long time ago. Um, that's maybe appropriate for these times called nervous breakdown. <laughs> so this is this is that. <laughs> 